Tonight we're going to hear about a storm that took place in the lives of the early disciples, the early believers in uh, the first century church. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. And <clears throat> I was reading this with my family um, the, uh, this week, and this, this particular um, story really has been speaking to my heart. And uh, once again, I wanted to share some things with you that the Lord has been working with me on. And I turned it into a message, um, and I don't know, it's going to be more of a Bible study than a message. Uh, so uh, we are here at church. This is kind of our Wednesday night uh, prayer service and Bible study, so we're going to do a little Bible study tonight. Um, but Acts chapter number 4, and we're going to begin in verse number 23. But we are going to look at the first part of chapter 4 and also even chapter 3 here in a minute. But verse 23, it says... Uh, this, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath, hath said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered uh, together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word." by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And uh, with that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our message together tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, faith and the courage of these early disciples that is recorded here in Acts chapter number 3 and 4. And Lord, I pray that we would learn some things that we could apply to our own lives and into our church as we face uncertain times uh, here in America in 2023 and beyond, Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, know how to respond uh, during times of persecution. And uh, we'll thank you for all that takes place now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Brother Keller, you mentioned the Catholic Church. Well, uh, my opening illustration is about the Catholic Church. In 1555, as part of her campaign, to establish the Catholic Church in England, Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, arranged for a man by the name of John Philpot, one of the leading Protestant ministers of the day, to be burned at the stake. When his death sentence was pronounced, Philpot said, I am ready. God grant me strength and a joyful resurrection. And so he walked to the place of execution on his own, rather than having to be dragged to it. And when he reached it, he knelt and kissed the stake at which he would be burned. It's pretty easy for us to kind of focus on our first world problems, right? Uh, boy, gas prices are getting high. The, there's no eggs at Costco right now. And it's true. 
Uh, my wife and I went there on, uh, I think, Monday night as part of our date night, Costco. How romantic. But <clears throat> we went there and uh, we got some milk and she pointed over to the eggs. She's like, look, there is zero eggs here at Costco. And, and I realized that there are some, some serious issues with all of this, but, uh, but it, it's easy for us to focus on these little problems. But, uh, but the truth is most of us have never endured genuine persecution for our faith. A few times people have gotten upset with uh, me for being on their doorstep trying to invite them to church and trying to uh, give the gospel to them. Um, I think uh, those who do that have had that happen a time or two. Um, I, had, uh, I had a lady uh, when I was in uh, Orange County as a, as a young ministry uh, assistant pastor. I was uh, walking up this lady and she was watering her, her uh, flowers and, and grass there. And, and I walked up and I said, hi, I'm from uh, Liberty Baptist Church and uh, just want to give you. And then she said, stop right there. And then she turned the hose and she started spraying close to my feet. And she said, you come any closer, I'm going to get you with this hose. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? Um, you could just say, no, thank you. Like <laughs> that, that would be a lot easier and, and a lot nicer. Uh, but instead, she threatened to uh, spray me with water. I had, uh, I had a guy in Orange County there who um, he was not happy that I was on, at his property. And he said, um, uh, you, you better leave right now or I will go in and get my gun. And I said, sir, that is not necessary. I will leave right now. Thank you very much. I mean, some of these things have happened. I mean, maybe you get a door slammed in your face. Maybe you get somebody who cusses you out at the door for being there. But uh, that's not real persecution. And uh, the truth is there may come a day when uh, we here, even in uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave, would uh, need to be faced with uh, giving our lives for the gospel's sake. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but I think the truth is we have seen some signs in recent years that have pointed to uh, the fact that it could definitely happen down the road. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, um, but it certainly could happen. Now, how will we act and how will we respond during those times of real persecution? Um, that's a great question. 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 12, Paul says this to Timothy, and just a real encouraging ministry advice. He says this, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall be blessed. Oh, I wish that's what he said next. But that's not what he said next. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you decide to really follow the Word of God and live according to its principles in this uh, day and age, uh, there's going to come times where you will experience persecution. So how do we respond during persecution? Well, um, and, and, and again, you may not, we, we don't really understand what real persecution is here in America or in, in Oklahoma. I mean, certainly you, you may have experienced some persecution at work uh, for being a believer and for being outspoken about your faith, and you may get overlooked for a promotion, or you may, you know, the, uh, the other employees may kind of make fun of you or whatever. That, that, that happened to me a little bit when I was in Bible college, and I was pretty zealous. 
then in those days, and I would I would sing hymns while I was cleaning and vacuuming our the furniture department, and and they would they would make fun of me a little bit and call me reverend and and preacher man and all those things, and uh, try in a derogatory manner. Um, and then uh, you you may even in your own family. Those who got saved out of uh, maybe a different religion, or you're the first one in your family to be saved, and um, you know you're, the rest of your family doesn't understand, and and maybe they're even hostile to the gospel, and there's maybe some things that they uh, you know maybe won't invite you to some of the family gatherings, and and, and those things happen. Uh, but again, how do we respond to persecution? Well. Uh, tonight we're going to look at the uh, first church here and and look how they dealt with persecution. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, do just a quick little. Uh, we're gonna we're not going to read every verse here, but we're going to scan uh, Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four and bring us back up to where we started. Um, but Acts chapter number three, I'll just uh, start reading a little bit and we'll skip around here. But uh, Acts chapter three verse one says, "Now Peter and John." This is after 3,000 souls were added to the church on the day of Pentecost after Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2. And then the early church just focused on you know, prayer and they focused on doctrine and fellowship and, and uh, unity. And, and uh, they, they just continued praising God and, and all these things and the Lord continued to bless. Well, then it picks up in chapter 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. Certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. He saw them and he said, hey, maybe they'll hook me up with a little lunch money. Well, verse uh, 4, Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. I'm sure when, uh, when Peter acknowledged him and said, hey, hey, look at us, he was like, oh, good. Finally, someone who acknowledges me. I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's those who stand on the corners in Oklahoma City. Uh, you get off the exit, and they're holding signs. And, and uh, I'm sure they're used to people not making eye contact with them, pretending they're not there. And uh, I'm sure that this man, no doubt, was used to people kind of walking in and totally ignoring him, kind of like pretending he wasn't there. But here, J Peter and John, they stopped and they said, hey, look at us. And he was like, all right, I hope you're going to put something big, a big old bill in there. But uh, that's not what happened. In verse number six, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. And I'm sure that made this man's heart sink like, ugh. And I'm sure that those who stand on the, the exits are used to hearing people like, I don't have any, I don't have any. But Peter said he had something far better than silver and gold here in verse 6. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So much so that verse 8 says, he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, this guy just got healed, and he was, you could just simply say, he was excited to be able to walk. So much so that he's just jumping around. He's like, look at this. I can jump. Are you kidding me? I've never been able to do this. And so he's just kind of going around like, hey, check this out. Pretty cool, huh? And everybody else is like, I guess. <laughs> But to him, it was 
the greatest day ever. Well, in verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. So everybody kind of knew, hey, isn't that that guy that always sits there by the gate and asks people for money? Not the same guy. He's now walking around, jumping around, and all excited and uh, being kind of embarrassing. Well, verse 10 continues, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at all, or at that which had happened unto him. And the, as a layman which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? He said, you, you, You're looking at us like we're the ones who did this? We're not the ones who did this. Had, had very little to do with us and everything to do with the Lord. And he points that, he, he mentions that in verse 13, The God of Abraham um, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up, which was quite a jab, um, but a needed one, um, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You, you wanted Barabbas to be delivered uh, unto you, a, a known murderer, a, a, a robber, a thief. You would have rather him be out in society rather than to deliver Jesus, but instead you wanted Jesus to die but it was in his name and his power that caused this man to now be able to walk. In verse 15, you killed the prince of life. That's quite a statement. Whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith and his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want uh, that ye through ignorance ye did it. Or I know that through ignorance ye did it, as also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. And then he tells them in verse 19 to repent and be converted. Your sins may be blotted out. And so uh, Peter begins to preach the gospel and, and uh, kind of... Ruffle some feathers, no doubt. I mean, pretty much everybody was used to the regular ritualistic religious routine of going to the, uh, to the temple at the hour of prayer and doing their prayers and then coming back out, no different. And then here, this guy disrupts the whole service. I mean, he's jumping around in the middle of the service. I mean, that would kind of probably disrupt our service too. It was a little disruptive when I was doing it a minute ago, okay? <laughs> um, I was about to call the ushers on myself, okay? Um, but anyway, then Peter takes this opportunity to preach the gospel and to preach a, a stinging message. Well, let's jump down here to verse number or chapter 4 and verse 1. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And they wanted to thank them for their good sermon and really appreciate their um, study and you know how it spoke to their hearts. No. <laughs> Verse number two, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. 
Okay, verse number 5, "...will came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have ye done this?" So these who's who in religious hierarchy back then uh, got Peter and John and, and, and brought them and said, Hey, uh, why are you doing this? And, and by whose authority are you doing this? Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people. He's like, I'm really glad you asked. Because <laughs> he had a good answer here. Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he has made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, there's that jab again, whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here uh, before you whole. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Okay, verse 13, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Oh, they wanted to, but there was nothing they could say because he was right there jumping around. And uh, he was like, you know, the original Tigger, you know. Bounce, bounce, Tigger! That was this man. Okay, verse 15, when they had commanded, though, uh, them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what are we going to do with these guys? What shall we do these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. Like we're in a spot here. We got to do something. We got to silence these guys because this message is going to continue to be preached, and this is not okay with us. Verse 17. Lest it spread, or but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Hey, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, like you're the judge. Verse 20, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Like, try to silence us, try to shut us up as much as you want, but we can't help but get the gospel out there because we've seen it with our eyes and we have experienced it in our own life. Uh, we, we can't help but do it. I mean, you can try to put a muzzle on us, but I'm sorry, it's going to come out one way or the other. Uh, we're going we're gonna to speak it. All right, well then, verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they continued to threaten them, but then they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Okay, so now we pick it back up with where we started at the beginning of the message. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So they're being threatened. And by the way, their threatenings weren't, well, you're going to lose your job. You might get a pay cut. We, we, might, we might not invite you to family gatherings. The threatenings that they were experiencing were far worse than all of those things. They were being threatened with prison and no doubt death for preaching the gospel. 
Now, what would you do if that was the threatenings that you received for your faith? You continue to read your Bible, you continue to pray, you continue to preach. Guess what? We're going to put you into prison and uh, possibly even execute you. What would you do? What would your response be? Well, let's look at the response of these believers here and learn how we then should respond to persecution. Um, I would say not if it comes, but when it comes into our lives. So first of all, uh, here's the first response. Praise the Lord. Did I really say praise the Lord? That's the first response to persecution? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Do you really feel like praising the Lord when you're being threatened with jail time and perhaps your life? Uh, do you really want to praise the Lord in that moment? Well, probably not, but that's exactly what these early believers did. Verse 24 says this, when they heard about the fact that they had been threatened, here's what that new, that, that large assembly, and yeah, they were baby Christians, but they had a real maturity about them. Because when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Lord, you are the creator. Lord, you are good. You are powerful. And in verse 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Now, can somebody tell me uh, tonight which, what, what he's quoting? And if you have a cross-reference Bible, there's the answer there. But uh, what is he quoting there? Anybody know? Psalm 2. There you go. Good job, Miss Bethany. You get the gold star for the day. Um, Psalm 2, if you turn over there uh, real quick, if you can find it real quick, I'm just going to read it real fast here. It says in verse 1, why did the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And, and, it, and it can be a little daunting when that happens. And, and, and the early believers recognize that that's what's happening here. But, but notice verse number 4 of Psalm 2. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And, and I always liken it, you can flip back to Acts, Acts 4, I always liken it to you know, a whole bunch of ants who say, you know, these little tiny black ants on the ground you know, during the summer months, and they, they go, we're going to overtake Eric. We're going to overthrow him. We're going to steal all his watermelon. Down with Eric, and there's a huge uproar, and all the answer together, and they're like, let's take him out. And I look at them, and I go, seriously? I mean, I know you guys can carry a lot, but, I mean, I have been in a building project here. <laughs> and so I don't know you're going to be able to carry this, so I could just literally smash you. Okay, that's, that's what was happening there uh, in, in, in Psalm 2. And, and they're reminded of that. They're reminded of, look, this is going to happen. There's going to be uh, people who are going to come against the Lord and against His anointed. But to remember that God is in control and to praise Him for that. And that's what these people decided to do. In the, in the face of th these threatenings and this persecution, they decided to praise the Lord. 
Uh, they go on in verse 27 and says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So they, they just recognize that God was in control and that God is powerful and that God is great and He is the Creator. They chose to praise the Lord. So rather than hearing this news, they didn't panic. They didn't hit the panic button and go, Oh no, they're all coming for us. I knew we should have never gotten saved. Why did I believe in Christ? Because man, this is a horrible life now. That's, that's not what they chose to do. They didn't chose to, all right, let's all run away and, and, and go hide in a cave for the rest of our lives. Let's do that. They didn't do that. They chose to praise the Lord for His majesty, for His goodness. Now, obviously, it's easy tonight to praise His holy name when everything is going well and you get a raise and, uh, you know, you find out your kids are better than you thought they were. And, uh, and uh, you, you know, things are going well, and, and uh, the work is going good, and your, your boss gives you an extra day off. And, you know, when, when things are going well, it's easy to praise the Lord. But not so easy when things aren't going your way. And yet, and, and if anybody had things not go their way, it was these early disciples that were dealing with this uh, persecution and all these threatenings. I think of uh, the Apostle Paul as another example of someone who praised the Lord in spite of persecution. And it wasn't like he was being threatened with prison. He was in prison. Okay, there wasn't a threat. He was living in prison in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So they were put into the inner prison. Their feet were fast in the stocks, and yet they chose still to praise the Lord. At midnight, at midnight, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> but not Paul and Silas. They were like, let's, let's get the hymn book out. Let's have a singspiration. What's your favorite hymn? Paul, what's your favorite hymn, Silas? Let's sing, and let's pray, and let's praise the Lord. Um, not always easy to do, but that was the first response of this church family. They praise the Lord for, the, for His sovereignty, for God, the fact that God is in control, for the fact that God is powerful. But not only did they praise the Lord, but secondly, uh, we need to pray for boldness. And we see their prayer for boldness in verse number 29. He says, in, they, they were in their prayer here, they said, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings said, Lord, you, you know what's going on here. You know what's persecution we're facing. Um, he said, they said this, Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they prayed for boldness. And then verse 30, By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I don't know that would have been my first request First prayer request when I go to the Lord in this scenario. I think if it were me, oh Lord, you know the threatenings. Please deliver us. I don't want to go to prison. Uh, please uh, don't make us go to prison. I mean, we're just trying to do right here. Please don't, 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 don't let them have their way. Please deliver us. My prayer would have been for deliverance, not for boldness. But these people, they prayed for boldness. So that, hey, in, this, in, in, in spite of the threatenings, that we'll continue to do what God has called us to do. 
Pray for boldness. Um, I hope that you'll pray for boldness, and I hope that I will too if, I, if and when I face uh, times of persecution. Uh, because this isn't the time to shy away. And, and, and I know that if you take the social issues that we're facing here, it, it's almost like we're, as, as believers, afraid to speak up about social issues and, and, and truth about marriage and truth about abortion and truth about you know, God's design for marriage and God's design and creation of the two genders. We're, we're almost afraid to do that because it's almost considered hate crime, it seems like. Uh, but it, we need to step, step up and be bold. Um, for too long, the, uh, the minority has had the louder voice. And, and we need to, those who hold the truth, stand up for truth and not be ashamed of it, but to instead pray for boldness. Now, we don't need to be obnoxious and, and rude and all those things, obviously. There's a balance. But we do need to pray for boldness. And that was the prayer there that the early church had. So we need to praise the Lord. We need to pray for boldness. What's another response we should have? Thirdly, we need to preach with confidence. Verse number 31, here's what ended up happening. So they praised the Lord, they prayed for boldness, but, but what, what happened next? Look in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. By the way, boldness doesn't come before prayer. Um, if you go back, if flip back to uh, chapter three, 4 and verse 13, if you go back there, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus Christ. It was obvious. And because of their time and communion with Him, they now had boldness. Our theme for this year at Cornerstone Baptist Church is abide in Christ. If we're going to have boldness to preach the gospel to our community, we better make sure we're abiding in Christ. And uh, that's what Peter and John did, and that's what these disciples did after they learned about the persecution they were going to face, or that they were facing. They decided to pray for boldness, and because of that, they did have boldness. Now, you're not going to have boldness just because you have such... Um, charisma and all those things. No, you're going to need to spend time with the Lord. So um, spend time with prayer and pray and, and then preach with confidence. Um, see the, uh, in, in, in verse number, uh, let's see here. Uh, the chief priests and the elders uh, got together and really endeavored to silence these believers, but what ended up happening instead? They were preaching so much the more with boldness and confidence that God was going to take care of them. And then they weren't going to let up just because of some scary, mean men out there who were going to take them to prison. We're going to keep preaching. And I love what Peter and John said, Hey, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Like You try to shut us up. Good luck. Um, it's in us, and it's going to come out. Paul said this, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. It's just in here, and it's going to come out. It's just oozing out. So um, 
You, you, you can put me in a prison, but guess what? I'm going to preach in prison. You, you can, you can, you know, the only way you're going to silence me is by killing me. And, and even then, I'll be in the presence of God, so it's a win for me. But preach with confidence. And during times of persecution, it's not, again, time to hide and run and be hermits. It's time to preach the truth. And let the Lord take care of us however He sees fit. If He decides to let us go on to glory, well, that's His business. If He decides to protect us, well, praise the Lord for that too. But we're going to preach anyway, regardless of the outcome. So preach with confidence. Uh, fourthly, a couple more here tonight as we finish this chapter. Um, so we preach with confidence, and then we need to partner with others. Partner with others. In verse 32, Acts 4.32, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. There was this tremendous unity in that group of believers because of the common persecution that they were experiencing, but they just were like, hey, we're here for each other. We know that the Lord is with us, and, and the Lord is with for, uh, here for us as well, but we want to be here for each other as well. And so this is the time not to you know, be like, well, that's, that person didn't shake my hand last Sunday. Like, none of that stuff mattered anymore. It's, it's hey, we're about to face some real persecution. We need to be together. We're one family here. We need to be here for one another. So in times of persecution, we need to partner with one another and have this unity that, hey, um, you, you take one of us, you're going to have to go through all of us. And that, that's, I'm sure, the mentality that they had. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. It was such a sweet unity in that, was it a peaceful time? Exterior or externally? No. Internally, yes. They just knew that, hey, God's got us, and we also have each other. And uh, that was able to get them through. So uh, how do we respond during persecution? Well, we partner with others. And then number five here, last one, we present your possessions to God. Verse uh, 33, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I, I, I think because of their... Their response to all of this, the Lord just said, hey, I'm going to bless you with great power here. And, and I'm going to give you grace to handle what you're going through. Um, but then verse 34 says, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet, and dis distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation, he was a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, he had land, he sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the mentality in that, in, that, in that scenario was this, like, hey, like whatever I have, it, it's, it's temporary anyway. Uh, I'm willing to present that to the Lord's work for eternal purposes because I can't take it with me anyway. 
I have this land that does belong to me, but I can't take that with me. So I'm willing to sell that. And uh, we have a great need here uh, to be together and united as we go through this very difficult time. Now, I know that this town called Moore, Oklahoma, has gone through some difficult times in the past. And this, this town has come together. And uh, there's this motto that we have here, more strong, that we come together and we're, we're together to recover after the tornadoes. And, and I've heard that the, uh, the cleanup after the 2013 tornado was like quick, quick. And just how this community came together and we're like, okay, we got another tornado to clean up. All right, let's do it. We've been here before. We'll probably be here again. So let's just know we know what to do. And this, this, this area has, has been known for that, and I appreciate that. But as believers, we need to so much the more be there for each other in times of difficulty. Uh, yes, persecution, but at the moment, uh, I'm not worried about the police you know, interrupting our service and arresting us all tonight. And I'm grateful for that. That is a true blessing. Because there are places in this world that that's not the case. But there could come a day when that happens, and are we going to be together? Are we going to stand up and say, hey, you arrest the pastor, you're going to have to arrest me too. I, I hope it never comes to that. That's not something I ever desire. I mean, it's way nice to come to church in freedom and, and to, to have what we have right now, but it could happen that way. And the Kellers, as they get the gospel to Italy, I, I don't know the climate there and the, and, the, and the type of persecution they could face. I mean, when they're going up against the church, because that's what they're going to be going up against. And that's a real stronghold there in Italy, the Catholic Church. There could be persecution that comes their way. How should we respond? Well, hey... Uh, my possessions, Lord, you've given me everything anyway. It all belongs to you ultimately. And so, Lord, I, I present those to you however you see fit. I'm not suggesting everybody tonight go sell all your property and bring it to the church. Although, <laughs> we do have a building that we need to build. So, uh, no, I, I'm not suggesting any of that, of course. Um, I, I, I'm saying that, hey, we just need to have the mentality that, Lord, um, our possessions, you know, we need to hold them in it with an open hand, not with a closed fist. One, one thing about, by the way, holding possessions with an open hand, not only can God, you're allowing the Lord to take them, but you're, you're also allowing God to put more in there, too. And so let's hold our possessions not like this. God, you can't have my, my land. You can't have my whatever, my family, my... Uh, my vehicles, my house. You can't have any of those things. But let's just say, Lord, I'll hold it like this, and I'll keep it as long as you want me to. But Lord, if you ever desire to have it, it belongs to you anyway. See, there's a different mentality there. And the church in Acts chapter 4, they were like this. And they were like, you know what? It seems like the Lord needs this right now. I'm going to give that to him. Uh, he He... He, this is kind of feminine here. You're like, why do you have a feminine uh, keychain on your key here? Uh, it's because my wife and I switched vehicles today. So I, this isn't my keychain, okay? I don't want to lose my man card. 
I'm going to keep that one. I'm not going to present that one. No. Um, look, realize that your, your possessions belong to the Lord and not to you. Someone said this, do your given while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. And, and I'm, I'm for leaving stuff for your family and all of that and, and inheritance and all that, but um, you can't take it with you, so you might as well offer it to the Lord and have a generous spirit towards things that are eternal. Now, we're done tonight, but let me just say this. As we've gone through the, the, this response to persecution, a godly response to persecution, not only are these good responses during times of persecution, but they're just good godly responses to any time. To praise the Lord. To take the time to praise the Lord when things are going good. When, when we're not facing persecution and to thank Him for that. Sometimes we totally take it for granted, don't we? And we do live in a, in a society where it is fine to do what we're doing tonight. And we can even go out on Saturday, put flyers on doors. Maybe not everybody's going to be happy with it, but 99% of people are going to be okay with it. And we're not going to get the police called on us. And we're not going to be uh, put, in, put in prison for it. So we can praise the Lord can pray for boldness. Just because we're not being threatened doesn't mean we shouldn't be bold for Christ. We have an opportunity to be bold without fear of being persecuted. So let's be bold and pray for that. And then let's preach with confidence and not, uh, uh, not be timid, even though there is a crowd out there that has been very loud uh, in recent years. Let's be louder because we have the truth. We don't need to be ashamed of the truth. Uh, Peter, Paul said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. May that be all of us too. Let's not be ashamed of him and, and, uh, and the gospel of Christ. So preach with confidence and boy, let's partner with others. Uh, we do need each other and we may not be going through times of persecution, but we do go through times of trial and tribulation here on this earth. People deal with health issues and other type of Trials, we need to be there for one another as a church family. There needs to be unity here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. We need to love each other and really care for each other. And, and, and put some of the petty things aside and, and all the personality conflicts and all those things aside and say, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. And, and we can have that in Christ. Partner with others. And then to present your possessions to God. Yeah, we can still do that even in times without persecution. We can still have that mentality of the Lord, I'm holding everything that I have in an open hand, not in a closed fist. Because, Lord, it ultimately belongs to you anyway. So, a godly response to persecution, but also a godly response to times of non-persecution too. And let's all decide to have these uh, responses. Let's pray together, Lord. Thank you so much for the opportunity to look at this, these couple chapters in the, in the Word of God that, that details what the early church dealt with. And God, help us to learn how they responded and help us to respond in, in like manner. Help us, Lord, in times of persecution, but also in times of uh, where there is freedom to do what we do. Help us, Lord, to praise you. Help us, Lord, to pray for more boldness. Lord, you've given us an opportunity to preach um, the gospel here. Help us, Lord, to pray for boldness and to preach with great confidence, to partner with one another for the gospel's sake, and then to present our possessions to you, knowing that you 
you own them anyway. You're the one that gave them to us, and and God, help us to recognize that. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless the rest of this service in Jesus' name.